Welcome to the Terry and Jesse Show family. The TJ Show stands for Terry and Jesse. Some people call it truth and justice. Some people call it totally <laughs> Jesus. I know this, that we're a high-energy, blue-collar Catholic and radio evangelist, and we're here to help you love God, save souls, and slay air. I'm reporting for duty. Jeff. I'm reporting for duty, and Jess, I love our mission statement. You just gave it, brother. That's it. That's what we're here for, bro. Hey, I, I'm betting better, so thank you for all your prayers. A lot of people say, hey, Terry, you sounded terrible the other day. Well, you know, I, uh, I whatever it is, it's, it's got a little of me, but I'm, I'm, I'm recovering. You knock me down, I get up. Jess, this is a great show today because we're going to talk a little bit about uh, subjects and, and uh, accusations in the church and basically say that the sense of fidelis, the sense of the faithful, they know when they see error. And so we're going to yeah, talk about that's it. a saint. Yeah, we do. And then another topic, I'm in California, and I, I'm glad you picked it out because the Democrats in California are trying to see how else can we— uh, you know, get more money in the coffer for taxes. Who else can we tax? Can we tax some dead people? Yeah, we can do that. Can we tax anybody who's making a lot of money? Yeah, we're going to do it more and more. Well, <clears throat> it's going to backfire, and we're going to talk about that. <coughs> and then the last topic of the day, as I always say, Jesse, I've been saying it for years, you cannot have love at the expense of truth. And there's an archbishop who calls homosexual blessings a biblical violation. And here's the interesting thing, Jesse. He's not a Catholic archbishop. I happen to agree sometimes more with my separated oh, brethren, Jess, than some of our own in the flock. So we're going to talk about that and much, much more. But you know what, Jess? I got a story about a dog with Don Bosco. Don't let me forget to tell you. This is a good one because it's his feast day. We're going to get to the gospel. But just for your good-to-know file, I hope everybody knows that Mark Huck uh, was— um, Great. Uh, he was acquitted in a federal court just uh, on Monday. <coughs> and um, I love what he said when a reporter asked him, hey, uh, I mean, should have, should this have ever been brought out, you know, from the beginning? Huck deflected, uh, defected to his attorney saying he's just grateful that justice was finally served. What a great line to say because it was justice. And then, Jesse, talking about lay people, here's a good-to-know file. You remember back in December in Rome— a bunch of lay people, Janet Smith and others, John uh, Finnis, a layman, they all went to Rome to defend and condemn artificial contraception through natural law. And this is what this professor did. And he gave the basic, what I call fundamental teachings on moral theology. And I hope that some of our leaders in our church got the message because we've got people <coughs> that are high officials in the church that are saying, oh, no. Uh, Amani Vitae, that, that's got to get kicked out. Well, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but it can't be kicked out because it's part of the deposit of faith in the sense of the moral teachings of the church. So that's my good to knows, good to know file. How about yours, Jess? Yeah, I just want to, on my good to know file, I want to talk just a little bit briefly about St. John Bosco and then, and then uh, proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, today's gospel. St. John Bosco, he devoted a great deal of attention to yeah. the question of how young people could be formed for a good, holy Christian life. Amen. That, that's something that consumed him. Yes. And he chose love rather than severity as his tool for teaching children to treasure God's will and promise. St. John Bosco, he reminds me of, uh, of Psalm 119. There's a psalm that says, How shall a young man remain sinless? By obeying your word. I have sought you with all my heart. Let me not stray from your commands. 
John Bosco knew this intuitively. He knew that Psalm 119 was the way uh, the, the way to, to, to raise young people to, to a life of virtue. At the time of St. John Bosco, industrialization and rapid growth characterized life in 19th century Turin, Italy. St. John Bosco was moved by the needs of the indigent boys in the city, the poor boys, the indigent boys, the homeless boys. So the young priest, John Bosco, he founded this uh, the, the oratory. His total dedication were to programs that brought the boys together for mass, games, and nature, and also study on Sundays. He started night classes to teach them to read, and with the help of his mother, he took in six homeless boys in 1857. By 1862, he was providing accommodations for 600 boys. Incredible. He raised funds tirelessly and promoted dedication to the Sacred Heart. By the time of his death in 1888, the order he founded to continue his work, the Salesians, had 768 members. Today, it's a worldwide congregation. St. John Bosco, pray for us. And let me give you two stories, Jess. I bet you didn't know this one. Watch, Jess will tell me. He's brutally honest with me. Oh, Did yeah. you know that Cardinal Zen is a Salesian and that someone— in the Salesian order, a priest who knew Don Bosco personally is the one who influenced Cardinal Zen to become a Catholic priest. Did you know that, Jess? I know I didn't know that. I know, man. I just found that out this morning. I said, you see how how important the saints are for our lives? Now, here's another story. I know Jess knows this one because I've heard him preach on it. And, folks, this is a story where if Don Bosco was alive today, there'd be the bad guys going after him, too. Because he wasn't a politically correct guy. The Masons were, they hated Don Bosco back then. And when many times he would go to do night calls, and he didn't have a car to drive, he walked. And for 20 years, there was this big gray dog that protected him from the bad guys. And it was a huge dog. And nobody messed with him because the dog was ferocious, okay? And guess what? That, no, no big dog lives 20 years, okay? It was an angel in the disguise of a dog. So, and Don Bosco talked about that as guardian angel uh, was protecting him because all the bad guys wanted to knock him over the head and kill him. Why? <laughs> I'll tell you why, Jesse. The same reason people want to knock out orthodoxy. I'll tell you why. Because they want compromise. They don't want Christianity. I mean, that's a strong statement. They don't want to hear about Jesus Christ. And anybody who preaches it is going to be a, a roadblock, a stumbling block to them. And so, Don Bosco, pray for us today because nothing's changed. Amen. Today's gospel talks about the three, mirac- three miracles that Jesus Christ performed. This is what the Jews were expecting at the time of Christ. One of the criterias that the Messiah uh, was going to encompass was that he was going to be a miracle worker. And that's why many people, when they saw Christ performing miracles that defy science and nature and physics and law— they said, this guy must be the Messiah. Mm. Today in Mark chapter 5 and following, when Jesus had crossed the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and he stayed close to, to the sea. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came forward. Seeing him, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, saying, my daughter's at the point of death. Please come lay your hands on her that she may get well and live. He went off with him, and a large crowd followed him. So there's Christ is going to perform a miracle here. But notice the person fell down at his feet. Mm-hmm. The person didn't stand up and stick their paws out and say, hey, give me give me Holy Communion in the hands. Well said. The person, the person 
fell down at his feet. That means the person knelt. Yeah. Says there, there was a woman afflicted with hemorrhages for 12 years. She has suffered greatly at the hands of many doctors and has spent all that she had. Yes, she was not helped, but only grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. She said, if I but touch his clothes, I shall be cured. Immediately her blood, her flow of blood dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Jesus, aware at once that power had gone from him, turned around in the crowd and asked, who has touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see how the crowd is pressing upon you, and yet you ask, who touched me? And he looked around to see who, who had done it. The woman, realizing what had happened to her, approached in fear and trembling. She fell down. Again, another person at the presence well, of Christ, what do they do? Well, they don't stand up no. and like shake their hand. They fall down at the presence of Christ. Amen. Before Jesus and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be cured of your affliction. Here's another miracle. While he was still speaking, G people from the synagogue official's house arrived and said, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher any longer? Disregarding the message that was reported, Jesus said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid. By the way, that phrase is found over 300 times in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Just have faith. He did not follow anyone to accompany him inside, inside except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they arrived at the house of the synagogue official, he caught sight of a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. Yep. So he went in and said to them, why this commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they ridiculed him. Then he put them all out. He took along the child's father and mother and those who were with him and entered the room where the child was. He took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. The girl, a child of 12, arose immediately and walked around. At that, they were utterly astounded. He gave strict orders that no one should know this and said that he that, that she should be given something to eat. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Another miracle, Jess. Three miracles uh, performed by Christ. I love Once it. again, uh, you can't say the same thing about Buddha, no. Buddha, Confucius, Gandhi, Zoroaster, uh, you know, all these other people that had, they claim to have a divine message. Jesus Christ he did what they call show and tell. Yeah, he would. He, yeah, he would. He he would perform a miracle and then he would preach the gospel. This way, he confirmed his message yeah. by the miracle. Amen. This is why we follow Christ because he's the most unique person in human history. He's the only Son of God by nature. We are sons of God by adoption. Christ is the only son of God by nature. Amen. Let's bring the smartest guy into the room for a quick one. Bishop Sheen, full steam ahead. Here's what he says. A contented man is never really poor, though he may have very, very little. What does that say? Well, a man who loves God is rich. You know why? Because he knows his meaning and purpose of life. A rich man that doesn't know Jesus is very poor. And hey, when we come back, we're going to talk about how we can deal with lay people who are well informed on the faith, call it the sense of fidelis, how that helps us stay are on track among error, even inside the church. Stay with the family right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse show. As you can see, if you're watching, Jess is on the road again. Uh, he's constantly, everybody who knows this, that Jess constantly is up and down the different parts of the country preaching the Word of God, and no different now. 
Jess, let's talk about this article that you picked out. Uh, he is to be accused by his subjects, St. Isidore. What's that about, Jess? Yeah, the, the article is there's a lot of people that <laughs> believe that you can't criticize as a layperson, uh, you can't criticize a priest, a bishop, a cardinal, or a pope, mm -hmm. that, that you canonically cannot do that. Only somebody who's part of the College of Cardinals can do something like that. This article, it destroys that argument, Terry. Right. So let's jump, let's jump into and it. And just a quick note, too. Pope Francis just last week said this very same thing. He said, I don't mind people criticizing me. Bring it out. Let's talk. So uh, I, I like it because over the years, it, it was the Italian bishops. The last time I took that note, Jess, uh, that said, he said to the bishops, there, oh, guys, come on. Well, <clears throat> we do, but we do it in, not for any other reason except for the salvation of souls. And uh, that's what I want to say. Let's get into the article now, Jess. You got it, buddy. Uh, it was written by Father Dave Nix, a friend of the show. He says, I don't, I don't want this blog to turn my readers into heresy hunters, <laughs> since recognizing heresy is not enough to obtain eternal life. Mm. Also, there's so much heresy in current Catholics, both lay and clergy, that your heresy hunting would become an exhausting effort. <laughs> but this blog is worth writing because there's an odd Gnostic myth floating around Catholic circles today yeah. that a heretic in the hierarchy can only be recognized by either a group of cardinals or an obsolete battery of canonical trials. While it is true that the saints seem to delineate between material heresy, small points, right. and manifest heresy, obvious heresy. The latter's held by saints to be easily identified by your average faithful layman or laywoman living in sanctifying grace. To believe secret wisdom on recognizing orthodoxy belongs to a shifty group of cardinals is peak Gnosticism. Gnosticism is the old and tired heresy that only a certain group of enlightened elites have access to secret divine knowledge. Rather, the Catholic Church has always taught that you, you only need the true faith and blue-collar common sense to identify a manifest heretic. This means you do not need a group of cardinals behind you with an imperfect council or canonist forming a canonical trial to recognize an obvious enemy of the Catholic faith. This is important because a manifest heretic, by, by definition, ceases not only to be a member of the hierarchy, but even a member of the Catholic Church. That's an important fact. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Although a material heretic could historically be judged a formal heretic only by a canonical trial. That's a fact. Father Paul Kramer asserts in his recent book that any prelate can be judged for heresy by his inferiors in regards to obvious or manifest heresy. In other words, if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, it's a duck. <laughs> and as such, the duck heretic must be avoided as a non-Catholic intruder. Even if he purports himself to be part of the hierarchy by your average member of the lay faithful. The key word is faithful as in catechized and orthodox. Yeah, well said, Father. I realize this is the opposite of what most of the traditional Catholic faithful currently believe. But here's some quotes from saints and later popes to prove this point. Pope Gregory the 16th explicitly cites Ballerini's doctrine as the basis for his own position on this question. And Ballerini's teaching is most clearly stated in the following passage, quote, for any, for any person, even a private person, the words of St. <laughs> Paul to Titus hold a man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition avoid knowing that he, 
that is such a one is subverted and sinneth being condemned by his own judgment. Titus chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. The article continues, He undoubtedly, who having been once or twice corrected, does not repent, but remains obstinate in a belief contrary to a manifest or defined dogma. By this, his public pertinacity, which for no reason can be excused, since pertinacity properly pertains to heresy, he declares himself to be a heretic, that is, to have withdrawn from the Catholic faith and the church by his own will. So that no declaration or sentence from anyone would be necessary. Conspicuous in this matter is the explanation of St. Jerome on the commended words of Paul. Where St. Jerome writes, Therefore by himself the heretic is said to be condemned because the fornicator, adulterer, murderer, and those guilty of other misdeeds are driven out from the church by the priest, but heretics deliver the sentence upon themselves Departing from the church by their own will, this departure is seen to be the condemnation by their own conscience. Father says here, a smart but suspicious reader would now ask this question, but can these admonitions to, to abjure heresy <coughs> go from so-called inferiors to so-called superiors? First of all, the required admonitions against obstinacy alluded to above have already been executed even by so-called inferiors to so-called superiors in this 21st century Catholic, Catholic Church crisis many times over against our famous heretics. Many public heretics who now claim to be in the hierarchy have repeatedly revealed themselves to be public heretics by ignoring what good lay people and priests have writ written them as they beg them to abjure their manifest heresy. And here's the last article. Moynihan, Dr. Moynihan mentions that there was such a tradition already prevalent as far back as the 7th century. The, from St. Isidore of Seville in the 7th century. Quote, the doctrine that any prelate can be judged for heresy by his inferiors has been asserted since the late patristic period, namely by St. Isidore of Seville, the last scholar of the ancient world. And the proposition that the Pope can be judged for heresy was already explicitly asserted by St. Columban, who died in 615. In the year 636, St. Isidore wrote in his Centenarium, chapter 34, 39, the rulers therefore are to be judged by God and by no means are to be judged by their subjects. But if the rector strays from the faith, then he is to be accused by his subjects, but for objectionable moral behavior, he is more to be tolerated rather than to be segregated from the people. Close quote. St. Columban wrote to Pope Boniface the third, the fourth, quote, for if these things are, are certain rather than fables, then vice versa. Your children have become the head, but you the tail, which is even painful to say. And for that reason, those who have preserved the Orthodox faith will be your judges, whoever they may be, even if there is seen to be your juniors, those Orthodox and true Catholics who have neither received nor defended any heretics or suspected heretics at any time, but have persevered enduringly in the zeal of the true faith, close quote. The article ends by, with the words, neither heretics nor those suspected as such, the Saint Isidore makes it clear that subjects have the right in conscience to judge and reject, literally not to receive, not only superiors who are notoriously manifest heretics, but also those who positively manifest themselves 
to be reasonably considered suspected heretics. And Jesse, thank you for reading that. I don't think I could have done that. Yeah, yeah, that's why. But the point I'm saying, Jesse, is I get texts today, yesterday, people saying, can I write to my bishop and tell them what I think they're wrong? I said, absolutely, you need to do that. Explain that, you know, they're not supporting the church teachings on these moral issues or on any issue that you think, because— this is a good obligation for us lay people to do that. As a matter of fact, what Bishop Strickland always says to me on the, ter- on the Bishop Strickland Hour, he says, Terry, don't wait until we're off the air to correct me. Please wow. do it right on the air. He said, if I did something wrong wow. on a statement of the church teaching, and, and I'll give you an example. Well, I won't even. He, I did it. And you know what he said? Thank you. See, this is the kind of attitude we need with our leaders in our church. Not, hey, hey, Romero. Get out of here. Remember, Jesse, when uh, I corrected I'm some guys? You. Hey, what, yeah. what kind of PhD do you have in theology to correct me, dude? I'm, I'm way above your pay scale. Wow. You, know, you see, this is what we call pride. And you see, the church needs to go back to the humility that the sense of the faithful do have the faith. Because right now, many prelates, hey, they're not even—Jesse, I'll be honest with you. I, do, I usually say this to you off the air, but I want to say it right on the air. Hey, some of these prelates— Yes, I wonder if they're worshiping the same Jesus that I worship, because I don't think they are. Terry, I, I, I agree with you, brother. You're absolutely right. There's, a, there's a, a gift that the church gives us. When you live in a state of sanctifying grace and you're in a right relationship with God, we possess what's called sensus fidei. Amen. It's, or it's also called sometimes sensus fidelium. It's known as both ways. According to the Catechism of the Catholic Church— Census fidei is a supernatural appreciation of faith on the part of the whole people of God. Right. From the bishops to the to the last yeah, of the faithful, that they manifest a universal consent in matters of faith and morals, and they they actually know what the church teaches. For example, if you're living in a state of sanctifying grace, and you hear somebody saying there are four persons of the, yeah. the Blessed Trinity. You're going to say, mm, I don't think so. They say, well, I don't got the, the degrees that this guy that yeah. that's espousing that. You don't have to have those no. degrees. You have a gift that's called census fidei that God gives you to protect you, safeguard your soul from error. And also help the individual who's in error save his soul by preaching the truth to him. Because, Jesse, this is something that people forget. These people who are preaching heresies are preaching watered-down Catholicism, they have souls that are going to have their exit interview. And if we don't speak up to them and tell them to repent and believe in the gospel, then we're not doing our duty. So in a sense, you're helping those individuals find Jesus through telling them the truth, because that's what sets us free, the truth. Terry, uh, St. Catherine, saying a doctor of the church, she yep. said this, yep. and she's the one that had to tell a pope uh, to go back to Rome from <laughs> yeah, France. Right. She said, quote, we have had enough exhortations to be silent. I love it. Cry out with a thousand tongues. I see the world is rotten because of silence. Wow. That's a, that's a doctor of the church. Now I'm going to give you one of the greatest Old Testament prophets, Ezekiel, chapter 3, verse 18. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, yep. nor speaks the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked man, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, 
He shall die in his iniquity, but you will have saved your life. Why? Because you warned him. Jesse, powerful quotes. I'm going to give one Pretty quote. clear. Yeah. Pretty clear. St. Pope Felix III, back in the 5th century, said it this way. Not to oppose error is to approve it. Not to defend truth is to suppress it. And indeed, to neglect to confound evil men when we can do it is no less a sin than to encourage them. Why do I quote that? Why does Jesse quote Scripture? Because we're a biblical Church, we need, the, the, the Bible is our, our source of our teaching, <clears throat> along with the church, magisterium of the church, but the Bible is as highest form we can go with. So not using scripture to correct somebody. I mean, we even talk about uh, admonishing the sinner. Yeah, if someone is sinning, like an active homosexual, I want to do sodomy. No, I'm not going to con- say, oh, it's okay, you know, just do whatever you want to do. I'm going to tell them the truth because I love them. What does St. Thomas say the definition of truth is? The will, the good of the other. Whoa, Jess. Powerful stuff. We come back, we're going to talk about the crazy state of California, which I'm sitting in. Folks, put your seatbelt on. You're going to be glad you're not here. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. Jess is on the road, but he's still coming in. And Jess, this California Democrats are considering a wealth tax, including for people who move out of the state. In other words, I, they want to get you even if you don't even live in the state anymore. Tell us about it. They probably that. want to get me. Yeah, that's you're an example of that. I'm an example. The California uh, Democrats, uh, Gavin Newsom wants to tax me. I've been away, I've been out of California for seven years. Yeah, uh, this was uh, put out by Fox News that California lawmakers are pushing legislation that would impose a new tax law on the state's wealthiest residents, even if they've already moved to another part of the country. Incredible. Assemblyman Alex Lee, a progressive Democrat, last week introduced a bill in the California state legislature that would impose an extra annual 1.5% tax on those with a worldwide net worth above $1 billion starting as early as January 2024. And as early as uh, January as, as uh, 2026, the threshold for being taxed would drop. Those with a worldwide net worth exceeding 50 million would be hit with a 1% annual tax on wealth, while billionaires would still be taxed 1.5%. Worldwide uh, wealth extends beyond annual income to include diverse holdings, such as farm assets, arts, and other collectibles and stocks and hedge fund interests. <clears throat> I'm here in Florida right now. I had lunch with the Catholic priest that invited me to do a parish mission. Mm-hmm. He told me yesterday that, <clears throat> that most of Silicon Valley has moved to Dade County, Florida. For good reason. Yeah, so, uh, so uh, you know, Gavin Newsom and, and uh, Governor DeSantis were at war with each other, kind of verbally sparring. Well, guess what? Governor DeSantis won. He took most of the billionaires. They've That's moved right. over to Dade County, Florida, and Silicon Valley is just a shadow of its former self. This is what's happening, Terry. Yeah, yeah. And, and Jesse, I might jump in and just say other countries have haven't done this with the wealth pe- wealthy people. France did it, and they found out that their revenue stream for taxes goes down. Ronald Reagan said that exactly would happen. That's why he did tax cuts and tax revenue went up. But here's something if we don't get a chance to. Uh, get to that I think most people are going to be shocked to hear that 1% of the people in the state of California mm-hmm. pay 50% of the, of the state income tax. And Say that again. Okay. 
1% of taxpayers pay about 50% of the state income tax in California. <laughs> Jesse, and you know, here's the other thing, about 50% pay nothing. So, so my point is, how, I mean, talk about injustice. I, I mean, the point I'm trying to convey is... Kelly, I'll, I'll give you an example. The richest man in the world left California, Elon Musk. For a good reason. He went to Texas. Richest man in the world. Uh, is it because he can't afford California? No. He, no. It's because he wants to keep more of his wealth. And again, a, a priest told me last night Incredible. that most of Silicon Valley moved their businesses to Dade County, Florida. Yeah. Uh, and, and so governor, just like Governor DeSantis... Uh, has a more uh, user-friendly state oh, for yeah. businesses. And Jesse, one more thing that's not in this article. I mentioned to you off the air that when California, I'll give you an example. California was doing a gas tax uh, rebate, giving people $700 with a little credit card. And I, I got one of these and I go, what the heck is this? So I talked to my tax accountant. And he goes, oh yeah, that's Gavin Newsom. He's giving everybody a tax break <clears throat> because of the revenue that that generates. He thought he would give it back. Because of the surplus of money in California, the problem was <laughs> that surplus was on borrowed money. In other words, that surplus of money sitting in the bank for the state of California was on loans that they put took out. So it's kind of like Jesse, myself. We have a house. We borrow on our house. Does that mean we have a million to hundred hundred thousand dollars from that loan in the bank right now? That's ours. Yes, but you got to pay it back and with interest. And that's what California has right now, a 22.5, not million, billion dollar deficit. Because now they got to pay back that borrowed money. So what's their answer? Let's tax the rich more. Doesn't make sense to me. Terry, you know what? California liberals, people like Gavin Newsom and people with his mindset. Yeah. These, these liberals, first of all, they destroy everything they touch. Number two, liberals spend money like a rich teenager spends money with his, with his mom and dad's exactly. credit card it's- over the summer. Uh, when mom and dad says, yeah, you can uh, spend the summer at, at, the, at the family beach house with your friends. Here's a credit card. That's exactly the way liberals, that's the type no of accountability. Uh, yeah, the lack of restraint, yep. the lack of temperances that yep. liberals have with other people's money, Terry, yeah, with hard. other people's money. And the thing about it, Jesse, is as the rich people move, many of them take their businesses also. So job revenue is lost, not just on that one family that moves out, but they say, you know what? I think we could do this business in Texas or Florida or Nevada where we don't Terry, have- well, How many jobs does Silicon, how many people does Silicon Valley employ and Elon Musk? They're gone. They're gone. They're gone. Yeah. Yeah. That's a huge, huge uh, pool of revenue uh, of laborers. Yeah. yeah it's huge. a revenue loss of California. So what they're doing, Jesse, is they're making a huge mistake saying, oh, yeah, we've, we've got to tax these rich people who are, I mean, they're paying a lot of money in taxes, but you know what? They need to pay more. And so what do they say? Oh, great. I'm out of here. And then the state of California isn't going to have the revenue. And that's because the bad decisions of our politicians and they need to get out. That's right. Terry, once upon a time, uh, millions upon millions of young people, they dreamed of moving to California. Everybody would say, go west, young man, go west. That's right. Why? Because you have the beautiful, endless sunshine. You have the beaches. Once upon a time, you had a booming economy out there. It it, it seemed like paradise to a lot of people. There was jobs, jobs, and jobs. Those days are long gone. Unemployment is rampant. Homeless is rampant. Home prices are are unaffordable to young people. 
violent crime and gang activity are on the rise. Uh, you have, uh, again, like you said, the homeless, homeless problem is, over, is, yeah, is absolutely over the top. Yep. Uh, you got, you know, local governments all over California, they're facing these horrible financial problems because they can't run their cities. You got <laughs> millions of illegal immigrants right. pouring into the state. Yep. You got traffic around the big cities. You got these uh, th these tax rate tax rates that are absolutely outrageous. And what about crime, Jesse? <laughs> Terry, yeah, uh, it's it's, a, it's a very dangerous place it to is. live right now. It is. It's you know, my family tells me at night in California, everybody pretty much that has a half a brain stays inside, stays indoors. Exactly. They say because the streets are like zombies. People are like walking. Anybody at nine o'clock at night, eight o'clock at night. They're not up to any no. good, Terry, out there in the inner cities in Los Angeles. That's right. And uh, my wife doesn't go out at night, Jess. I don't let her. Yeah, nope. that, you're smart, Terry. Now, uh, again, there, there's there's still obviously a few pockets of the state that are very beautiful that that they've been sheltered oh. from the economic nightmare that's sweeping the rest of the state. But in general, in general, that's right. Most cities in California are becoming giant hell holes, and, and, and without a doubt, the California dream has now become the California nightmare for most residents. And so, like Terry says, if you live in California, especially if you're a young family, get out. I don't know. Maybe perhaps it's time to move. Yeah. Yeah. And you saw that little commercial for real estate. Oh, yeah. It's a great commercial. And, and it's because that's a fact. Now, again, um, I want to hold our account, the politicians accountable. But I'll tell you what really speaks volumes, your tax dollars. And what's going to happen is they're going to put California in a really difficult situation, and they're going to do it. And that's they're going to say, "Hey, I told you so." But you can't keep taxing the rich. Uh, again, I'm going to say it one more time, Jesse, because it's important. Studies have shown top one percent of taxpayers pay fifty percent of state income taxes, not only in California but in New York and elsewhere. So, raising the question of how damaging a mass exodus of wealthy residents could be. To a tax revenue? Are you kidding me? It's like saying, uh, if you're in business, 50% of the people who come and buy my donuts, if I'm a donut maker, are now gone. You can't, yeah. stay. You can't sustain that. Yeah, Terry, I'll tell you one. Just to, to be honest, California is run by woke, liberal oh, yeah. con control freaks that are drunk with power. They have no common sense at all. Yep. California, objectively speaking, it's a horrible place to do business. That's why Silicon Valley moved out and moved out to Florida. Yep. And Elon Musk moved out to Texas. In California, the economy is a gigantic mess. It's uh, You got, again, cities, municipalities all over California going broke, and they're going to continue to raise taxes just to survive. Uh, you have governments that are trying to slash governmental services all over the state, like defund the police. Yes. Uh, you got... California has some of the highest tax rates in the nation. Poverty is absolutely exploding in California. Uh, there, there's an epidemic of crime and violence in California. Yep. Uh, I mean, and, and and poverty, as 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 crime grows, poverty also grows in California as well. Many of the California cities, they're just dangerous, yeah. and they're being transformed into hell holes. I remember, I uh, the LAPD chief of police, probably about a year and a half ago, I. He, uh, I saw on the internet, he put out a commercial, an infomercial. He said, if you don't live in Southern California, don't come over here because 
I don't have enough officers to protect you. Don't come to LA County. I don't have enough officers to protect you. This was the chief of the LAPD I heard on YouTube and all over social media about a year and a half ago. Yeah, and Jesse, there's thousands of so, of, uh, of uh, policemen. I heard this from the sheriff's department. They were talking. They're, they're trying to cover the same territory with thousands of, of less uh, officers. So guess what that does for safety? It goes way down. And and one more last thing I'll just mention. Your brother Johnny, when he was here for the evangelization conference, told me how bad he works for the uh, the city of L.A. And uh, at night, people come and steal the wire in the streetlights in the streetlights, and so that they have to replace the streetlights on a regular basis because of crime. And when they ask about, well, can we stop this? The the people in the city go, oh no, just let it go. Well, Johnny's saying they let it go. We're losing ground. We we the, the, when is it that the customer, the, the civil person, going to be benefited, and rather than allowing bad behavior to be continue to grow? That's the problem, Jess. They say, well, he's on drugs. Come on, give him a break. Uh, wait a minute, Terry. They're not going to solve the problem because. Political correctness is what is what runs California government. Yeah, you get it's you political know. correctness, and also Terry, California doesn't respect the rights of parents. Yeah, I, I'll just put that out there. Yeah, one you of know? our one of our yeah. listeners just told me he works for Metro Rail, and he's uh, underground, and the and the homeless are stealing the um, cables there also. I said, unbelievable. How do we have a functioning state? Well, it's not going to continue to be functioning for oh, long. Oh, gosh. Stay with us, family. We'll be God right back. Us. We're going to talk about an archbishop who's not even a Catholic, giving us a biblical view on uh, moral teaching. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, Here's Terry and Jesse. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse show. Jesse, this last article, Archbishop <laughs> calls gay blessings a biblical violation. Are you serious? I mean, and he's a Protestant. And he's, Terry, a Protestant, he's a Protestant. Archbishop. And he's nailing it. So let's talk about it, Jess, because we do have people in the church who do not have the church perennial teaching on sodomy. I'll just be a Terry. Yes. Terry, let me, let, let's just be honest about something. Just... Look at the picture yeah. on that article. The article is called Pope's South Sudan Trip Hits LGBT Minefield. Yeah. It's put out by Church Militant. Look at Pope Francis, Terry, yeah. looking at that priest. I see it. You see that article? Yep. Okay. I'm going to tell you something right now. Um, I'm a pretty accurate assessor. 20 years of policeman. Uh, I guess you would get that. Yeah, I have a lot. Profiling. I, I I can tell yes. when I'm in the presence of a homosexual. Let me tell you something. That picture is disturbing. I, I agree with you, brother. That picture, the way they're looking at each other, it's it's disturbing to me as a Catholic. That's all I will say. Take a look at the picture yourself. Draw your own conclusions. Yep. It says here, Pope Francis' visit to Africa has hit a diplomatic minefield due to the Anglican Archbishop of South Sudan's condemnation of same-sex blessings as constituting, quote, unfaithfulness to the God who has spoken through his written word. Close I agree. Quote. Perfect. Okay, so that guy's just... Yeah, he nailed Pro it. <laughs> that Protestant is, uh, is correcting a lot of these Catholics. Yep. Prelates. In an explosive statement targeting Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, who was traveling with Pope Francis to South Sudan, Archbishop Justin Badi Arama 
threatened to break communion with the Church of England after it approved blessings for the homosexual couples on January 18th. Anglican bishops, led by Welby, were violating the clear and canonical teaching of the Bible. Waddy warned on Tuesday, noting how the role of Archbishop of Canterbury as a moral leader and figure of unity within the communion will be severely jeopardized. The response of the English bishops belies the, the loss of confidence by the bishops in the authority and clarity of the, of the Bible as we have received it. They are rewriting God's law for his creation, laws that are reaffirmed by Christ in the gospel accounts. The primate of South Sudan also blasted the bishops' document on homosexuality as a farcical compromise with many contradictions and no theological case made for blessing same-sex unions. Terry, the the article is basically. I'm just going to summarize it. Yeah, summarize it because it's you have you have an Anglican bishop who was blasting his own church, Terry. Yeah, because they've caved in on the issue right. of uh, of of uh, sodomy and, and homosexual blessing same sex unions, and now you have Pope Francis who's made very troubling statements in recent days. Yeah, and so. You can see there, there's this cloud that hangs over Pope Francis, and people are like wondering, hmm, like what side of the fence are you on? Yeah, you, you seem to be speaking out of both both sides of your of your mouth, and so this uh, Protestant Archbishop is 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 essentially uh, coming out clearly on what the biblical tradition of sod, what sodomy says. And that's what we need, Terry, from our Pope and our bishops, that type of biblical clarity like yeah. him, like Bishop Strickland and others. Oh, yeah, a world biblical view of everything. And this, really, the Catholic view is a world public biblical view. And those who do not hold that w biblical world view are not teaching what the Catholic faith teaches. And again, I said this many times, <clears throat> Jesse, the Pope is the vicar of Christ, not the superior of Christ. So... Not the Pope, not the bishops, not cardinals. They cannot change one thing of the Catholic faith on their own. That's not part of what we believe as Catholics. So when you do see teachings that are ambiguous, I continue to <coughs> ask people to go to their Bible, their catechism, and say, okay, what does the church actually teach? And pray for that prelate that he will come to know the fullness of the faith. Because right now, we're not getting that from many cardinals and bishops in yep. today's church and priests. The Anglican Archbishop says in July 2022, Archbishop Body threatened to break communion with the Mother Church of Anglicanism mm -hmm. if it went ahead with same-sex blessings, explaining, we cannot just deceive ourselves, saying, fine, we're all, we are together. We're not really together. We cannot break bread with bishops who betray the Bible. The Eucharist is not just food, Archbishop Body said. So if we're now saying God was wrong, we have discovered the truth, then where it is, where is it written in the Bible? Being a Christian, you go according to what the Bible teaches. Now, this is the Protestant. We as Catholics believe the same thing. Lumen Gentium, I think, in paragraph 24 says, it says that all theology is done based on the, on the sacred scriptures, on the word of God. Theology comes from the word of God. In 2003, Anglican bishops in the Democratic Republic of the Congo unanimously condemned homosexual relations say, and said it wishes to disassociate itself from relations with dioceses and parishes involved in homosexuality. The Anglican province of Congo condemns every immoral act which promotes active homosexuality as a cultural norm. The gospel purifies all culture and must be in agreement with Holy Scripture, the bishop declared. Yep. Pope Francis will visit the DRC from January 31st to February 3rd. 
and then spent two days in South Sudan with the Archbishop of Canterbury and the moderator of the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland on an ecumenical pilgrimage for peace, the Vatican announced. I would tell whoever wants to criminalize homosexuality that they are wrong. In an interview with the AP published on Wednesday by Pope Francis called for the decriminalization of homosexuality. <laughs> I would tell whoever wants to criminalize homosexuality that they're wrong, Pope Francis mm -hmm. said. African bishops who support sodomy laws, uh, Pope Francis says, have to have a process of conversion, he said, adding that they should apply tenderness, please, as God has for each one of us, close quote. All I can say, Terry, is that African bishops, they haven't criminalized sodomy. It's the Islamic government yeah. that has. Oh, yeah. Is, Islamic, the government, the imams have criminalized it. So the Pope doesn't need to talk to the African Protestant bishops. Yeah. He needs to rebuke Islam sharply because he's criticizing the wrong religion. It's not the Protestants that have, have criminalized homosexuality. It's the Muslim governments that run this country. And if I can add one more thing, when he said that I would tell whoever wants to criminalize homosexuality that they are wrong uh, and have tender love, you got to have the biblical worldview, excuse me, Holy Father, uh, what the Bible teaches about sodomy. I mean, and then think about, Holy Father, what you're, what you're encouraging people to do just on a natural level, the sickness that comes from doing these kinds of things, but not even just the sickness, the moral teachings. You're, you're giving them a green light to basically offend Jesus Christ. I know, Jesse, that sounds like, what? Yeah, and I'll tell you why he's offending Jesus Christ. Because you're doing something that the Bible says cries from heaven for condemnation. So, Holy Father, with all due respect, <clears throat> please have a world biblical view rather than a false compassion view. I'm done. Yeah, Terry, um, I I'll give you an example. AIDS is something that's prevalent all over the world. Right. Well, guess what happened? A couple of years ago, Uganda heard heard some Catholic moral theologians yeah. oh. uh, talk about the fact that we need to stop promoting condoms and start promoting chastity. Right. So Uganda was one of the first countries that actually adopted Catholic sexual ethics and began promoting chastity, and they quit passing out condoms in their schools. Guess what happened? AIDS started declining rapidly in Uganda. Hundred percent proof. And when you don't yeah. have when you have con when you have, uh, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but but in the wealthy and well-educated countries in Southern Africa, where condoms are promoted yeah. and chastity is not preached, guess what? AIDS is taking a terrible toll on the people there. So my question is, why are the educated so stupid? Uh, why do the educated promote sexual licentiousness, the very opposite of what the Catholic Church teaches? I'll tell you what. Um, the sin makes you stupid. I'll just jump in. Go that, ahead, Jim. There you go. There you go. This, this promoting sexual licentiousness, <laughs> it, kills, it kills a person's psychology. Yeah. It kills society. Mm -hmm. It kills you spiritually. Mm -hmm. And it kills you physically. That's, again... Uh, the reason why legions of heterosexuals and homosexuals wind up with STDs yep. is because they don't have any, they don't value sexual restraint. Amen. And so as a result of that, many of them die young. Yep.
it, it reminds me, Terry, of, of what Pope, Fra- Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, excuse me, he said about Catholicism. He says Catholicism isn't a collection of prohibitions; it's a positive option. Amen. In other words, uh, G.K. Chesterton says it's not that Catholicism hasn't been tried and tested. It's that Catholicism has largely been untried, yeah. and that's why it's untested. Yeah, well said. And Jason, Jesse, our faith, again, just to wrap it up, is what Jesus Christ taught 2,000 years ago and what the magisterium has kept all these years on moral teachings. We are not going to deviate anything away from our leader, which is Jesus Christ, yeah. the Savior of the world. And see, we got to remember to keep our eyes fixed on, see this crucifix? That's who we worship. And so of a priest, that's, bishop. That's the first reading today. That was the first reading. Yeah, exactly. That was the first reading. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. So my point to everyone is don't be, I mean, I'm getting texts that are troubled about this, about that. Just, you know what? Live holy lives. Make reparation for the sacrileges that are being done in our church today. And they are being done today. And why do I say that? Because we get all kinds of reports about craziness in the church. But don't leave the church because of this craziness. God's counting on you to hold our leaders accountable. What Fulton Sheen said years ago, who's going to save the church? The lady. That's right. Terry, the last paragraph says here, observers who noted that the the remarks were targeted by the Pope at the African bishops just before the Pope's apostolic journey to the Democratic Republic of Congo and South Sudan slammed Pope Francis for engaging in what the pontiff has condemned as ideological colonization. (laughs) In other words, the Republic of Congo and South Sudan, yeah. they're, they're saying they're saying nicely to the Pope, don't promote your woke Western liberal ideology well said. to a traditional Christian and Islamic continent. God That's bless what, saying. what a great comment to make. Yeah. Wow, Jesse. Hey, for those who are in Florida, Jesse, do you remember where you're at, where you're going to be preaching? What's the name of the parish? Yeah, maybe. Yes, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm here in Stewart, Florida. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Stuart, Florida. Look at my website. See where I'm going to be. Oh, it's on Jess's website. But if you're in there, go see him tonight. What's it called, Anita? St. Andrews. St. Andrews Andrews. in Stuart, Florida. I'll see you tonight, 6 o'clock. Well said. And remember, yes, um, I asked people to pray for conversion of sinners because Our Lady said that at Fatima. Souls are going to hell because no one is there to pray and make sacrifices. Boy, do we have them now in our world. And Jess, just before you get back to your mission, what state should we be living in, brother? I know you're in Florida, I'm in California, but what really state should we be living in? Let's live in a state of sanctifying grace. Don't live in a state of mortal sin. Become holy or die trying and flee this corrupt generation. Amen. Thanks again for supporting us here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I always like to end by saying to Jesse, Jess, why don't you really tell me what you think? No, you know why? Hey, by the way, yeah. Mark Howe acquitted. Mark That's Howe right. Acquitted. We got that message in the beginning, and we'll do it again. Stay with us, family. We got another show coming.